and that was kind of it's weird but that was my upbringing if i did something so if i did something nice or if i if i was happy if i was fun or if i was playful i would there were times where i would get punished for it and if i did something wrong and i was bad then i would get punished for it and when you're raised in this environment where it doesn't matter whether you're happy or sad you get punished you start to go well i can't be happy or sad so i just better stop being both of those things and then you start numbing yourself out so you stop being creative you stop playing you stop laughing you stop having fun but you also stop doing things that get you into trouble so then you you just live in this very small small box with a voice in your head that just constantly says don't do that you'll get punished Welcome ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host Matt Brown and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L is a loss. So sit back, relax or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every Year Podcast where we have different guests come on and talk about things in their life they've gone through where initially it felt like an L, a loss, because things did not pan out the way they hoped they would. They put certain things in place, they did everything that was required of them and for one reason or another things didn't go right, they went left and that left them feeling some sort of way. We're going to explore them. We're going to ask questions. We're going to just get a better understanding of what they did to navigate those spaces, those feelings. And ultimately, was it an L or was it something else? But that's not for me to say. That's for my lovely guest to go through and explain. Now, this individual, I bumped into them, feels like a couple of months ago now or something like that. But I'm grateful I have because they live in a very far away place to where I'm at. Somewhere where there's like super human sized spiders and I don't do spiders like that. That's just wrong. They're like, they can paralyze a human being. I'm not on that at all. However, they're still here. They're still navigating that space and they're a much better human than I am because trust me, I would have eloped. I would know. No, but I love them for their honesty what they do they also do a podcast as well and it's just the level of honesty and vulnerability they're willing to put out there because I think and obviously if you listen to the podcast you know what I'm like about and how I champion it I think there is an issue with the lack of vulnerability that we share a lack of honesty and sincerity in terms of what we put out there we Instagram and the likes will always help you to put things out that are filtered, that are perfected with quotation marks, when the reality is they're not that it's distorted and they encourage body dysmorphia and a sense of underachievement because you're not hitting these lofty heights. She's not like this at all. She's very humble, she's very grounded and she's very resourceful. <laughs> she's very resourceful. She does things in it with she has a land she does things with the land that I again probably couldn't do I probably could if I put my 
if I put my mind to it, I probably could give me a, a long period of time to get my head around it. But she's just that person who I'm grateful exists grateful has a voice and is willing to use that voice to help others feel less alone and to help them connect with the fact that it's okay not to be okay some of the time but you know you know how I am I love my guests and my guests are each and every one of my fantastic and this one is no different I have Kaylee here Kaylee do you mind introducing yourself in a way you see fit however there is one caveat that I've recently introduced and it's because I'm being more mindful to those guests who are visually impaired I would like you to describe yourself in a way that lets people know what you look like. So for instance, I will say I'm a black male. I am very handsome. I am six foot three. I'm going to keep that very handsome part because I am trying to, <laughs> try to own it regardless of what my hair looks like. But could you describe yourself and just introduce yourself in a way you see fit before we go and talk about your L? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> every morning would have been so good. I am now brutally uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I am, I don't know, female. I have no idea how tall I am. Five, nine, five, ten, something. I don't know how tall I am. No, five, ten and a half, maybe. I don't know. Can't answer that question. Fair enough. Um, long hair, really long hair. I think that's as much physically as I, you're probably better off describing me physically because you're the one looking at me. <laughs> You look at yourself daily. <laughs> I know, but it's one of those brutally uncomfortable conversations of, well, what do I say about my physical appearance? You could say you're a Caucasian lady with long blonde hair. And yeah, that's that's well, enough. That, that, that is great. You did that for me. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> And thank you very much for that that amazing introduction. I feel like I'm going to take that snippet of that introduction and just listen to it every day to remind myself how fantastic I can be from the perspective of somebody else. So then I'm not spending so much time in my head listening to the voices that are telling me their very narrow, limited, judgmental perspective. I'm going to listen to your perspective instead because it's far better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Take it, take it. Um, and you're right, I do live on land. We live on 140 acres with dogs and cats and chickens. We had geese, but they've moved next door and we've got guinea fowl. And now we have cows, so we have three bulls that have moved in from the forest next door. They just arrived one day and never left. So that's kind of like the very generic, where do I live? What do I look like? And from a deeper perspective, I have been on my journey. So I I took the pill when I was 30 and I'm now 47. So I have been on this journey for 17 years. And for the first, I think for the first eight years, it was extraordinarily isolating because there was no one else doing this work. Podcasts didn't exist back then. People weren't doing this kind of stuff. Facebook was more take a take a photo of your food and put put up what you had for lunch today. That's what Facebook was back then. You weren't sharing authentic opinions. And anytime I shared an authentic opinion, I would get slammed by so many people saying, No one wants to hear that. No one wants to know that. No one wants that level of authenticity or vulnerability. Just tell people you're having a good day. And through all of this feedback. 
I pulled everything down and kind of quite literally disappeared from life. But what I didn't know was that I didn't know why I was doing it at the time. I just knew that I just had so many parts inside of me that were saying, you need to pull this down, you need to run away, you need to isolate, you need to become a hermit. I didn't know what was coming. And the last eight years of my life has been my very own special version of hell for me, going through giving birth to my daughter and that was that was a traumatic birth. It went very wrong from my, from my perspective. It went very wrong, maybe very normal for other people, but very wrong for me. And then four months later, so my daughter was four months old. I found out that my mom had terminal cancer and she wasn't meant to make it to my daughter's first birthday. So my introduction to single parenthood was my mom getting sick and dying. She passed away two weeks after my daughter's third birthday. So she went for three years. And then in that time, I also ended up with an eating disorder because even though I was ready to be a single mom, I wasn't ready to be a single mom without my mom. And so that was a bit of a shock. And my entire world fell apart because of what I didn't realize, which has been really fundamental to my growth over the last couple of years, was that my mom was my foundation that she was, I had been raised just to seek all of my answers from her. So if I had a problem, I'd pick up the phone and have a conversation with my mom. And based on whatever criticism I receive would help me make the choice. But I was very dependent on that. I was very codependent on my mom making my life choices for me. And then when I messed up, going back home to my mom, that was always my solution was, well, it didn't matter if I cock this up because I can always go running home to my mom. And I did even when I got divorced. So my ex-husband is not the father of my daughter. I was married in my 30s. And when I divorced him, I went running home to my mom. Every relationship that I had, I would go running home to my mom. Like there's a, there's a very strong pattern and a very strong addiction to the energy that my mum provided me. So when she passed away or when she got sick, the foundation started to rock, like the walls were starting to crumble, obviously, because I knew her death was coming. It was imminent. It's not like she was sick and this was something she was going to get over. It's like, no, she was sick and the outcome is death. There was no way around it. So my own special place of hell was when she died, realising how attached and how codependent and how addicted I was to what she provided to me because after she passed away the fa- all the foundations and walls that I had just disappeared and I started free falling and there was nothing there was nothing for me to hold on to there was nothing for me to catch there was nothing for me to use as a foundation, it just didn't exist. There was there was no base for me to stand on. So I was falling all the time. And emotionally it was it was the darkest place I've ever been. Because there I I would just wake up in the morning feeling like a worthless sack of shit who just deserved to have a pile of horse crap land on my head. And then I'd go throughout my day 
that way and then I'd go to sleep feeling the exact same feeling and then I'd wake up in the middle of the night having massive panic attacks and I would spend my days having panic attacks and it just came to a point and I was also having the eating disorder, restricting food quite severely. I just got to a point where my life was just purely survival. I just ate to breathe and I just breathed to breathe and that's all I could do. I couldn't, there was nothing else I could do. I couldn't go anywhere because I was terrified by humans. I was terrified by how I felt. I was terrified by getting in the car. And I had my daughter. This is all while I was raising my daughter in a way that she didn't get too traumatized by what I was going through. So I was extremely mindful not to make how I felt about her. So it's really easy as a parent to take how you feel out on your kids. So if you're feeling angry and your kid does something, it's really easy to take that out on them. Like It's typical from, for lots of parents, it was typical for my mom. She took how she felt out on me. If she was angry or having a bad day and I was loud, then I'd be told to be quiet or go to my room or do something. So I was extraordinarily mindful not to take out what I was feeling on my kid. So here I am trying to raise this amazing, delightful, happy bundle of joy that I didn't want to squash or silence or traumatize in any way possible while I am living my own personal hell, dealing with my own demons or the voices in my head. They really got amplified after my mum died about how little my life was worth, how little I was worth, how little my entire existence was worth. And I remember getting to this point where I found this part inside of me that was just looking at me going, there is absolutely no part of you that is relevant to this existence. So we don't understand why you're alive. And it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> and and that, that kind of is where the deep, it, it took me a lot. It's, it's taken me a lot to pull myself out of that very, very, very dark place. And I did almost die through the eating disorder. Death came for a visit. I found notes actually. I'd written it in a book and I found the notes about two months ago where I'd written, death came for a visit and he's been here for five days and I don't know if he's going to leave. And I remember having the conversation with him where I was looking at him saying, no, I'm not. I'm not ready to die. And he was just standing there nodding his head. I said, I'm not ready to die. And I, I just kept saying no, and he kept saying yes. And then he pointed to my wrist, and I looked down at my wrist, and my wrists were, like, this is when I was in the prime of my eating disorder. I was down at like 51 kilos, and I'm whatever it is, five, ten, five, ten and a half. So I'm tall, and 51 kilos is not a lot. And I remember looking at my wrist, and my skin was gray. and you could see the bones through my skin. It's like it was almost translucent. And I looked, and I looked like death. When I look at my mom and when she, the day before she passed away and I saw her, it was that same kind of look. She had that same kind of grayness. That's, that's what I had. And the day before I'd gone to see a friend who does network chiropractic and he actually said to me, your life forces he said, it's, you're holding on by a thread. There's nothing left. If you don't 
if you don't do something, I don't think I'm going to see you again. You have to do something. And that was like over that five days that death was hanging around. And I just, look, made the decision to just go, I, I'm not, I'm not going to let this be my demise. I'm not going to let this moment right now with all the demons in my head, with all the feelings in my heart, with all the the shit going on around me and my life falling apart, I'm not going to let this be the reason why I died. I appreciate you sharing that. And for people listening, the L that Kaylee wants to talk about is addiction. Now, from the sounds of it, from hearing that very detailed journey, it sounds like you were addicted to a form of normality of your mum being your bedrock, being that consistent force in your life that you could always return to, always go back to, always support you as and when required to. And when that was under threat, it seems like, and I'm happy for you to correct me because clearly I don't know your story like that. And that's what we're here to have a conversation about. It's It manifests itself in a way such as food that it, it felt like there was something there's a way it came out and I would love for you to be able to share a little bit more around it because what I'm conscious of is looking at you from the outside looking in you look like you've got it all together yes there might be times and you can say what you say but as far as I'm concerned you've got it together you're doing what you're doing you've got a lot of things on your plate and you're spinning them well but you're telling me it's been hard. What does that look like? How, you know, following what happened, how did these things manifest themselves? Why did they do it? And, you know, to share what you feel comfortable sharing. I'm just, I'm just interested to know a little bit more about it, just so others can feel less alone if they are going through this stuff, or they might have people in their circle who may be going through what you've been through and they see some of the signs that overlap and go, Oh, okay. Yeah. So my addiction wasn't specifically to going back to my mum and using her as a safe space. It was the addiction to the victim. So my mum was a martyr and she was also a victim and I was raised in a very similar way. I mean, I didn't, you know, when you're you're raised by by a victim, it's really hard to find any other way and unless there are other people in your external world but everybody in my external world they were all they all had elements of victim or they put me in the position of being a victim because I was blamed for a lot of things growing up that it, that when I look back I think they should not have been they should not have been my responsibility they were the re- responsibility of my parents not my responsibility and so that's that I call it the victim hit. It's very similar to any addict, alcoholic, drug addict, TV addict, exercise addict. They're doing it because they want the hit. They're doing it because the thing that they do gives them an element of relief from how they feel. And and for some of us, I mean if you if you go by the dopamine hit, which is ultimately why people are addicts in the first place, is that they're constantly seeking that dopamine hit, that hit that makes them feel a little bit better. And for me, that little bit better hit was going back to my mum, was having that conversation, was having that 
And it seems really weird, but any time I used to get too feel too good, didn't make sense. I need I needed to I needed to be in that realm of a victim, and so I would pick up the phone and call my mum and get that hit and go, oh, okay, there's my reality again. That's that's my and so when I failed, I failed in a relationship and went back home. That was me getting that that very big hit of, yep, you failed. Yep, you shouldn't have done that. Yep, that was a bad relationship. Yep, like it, it, it enabled all of those voices that I had been raised to listen to and believe as well. And the addiction, all addictions are, are an addiction to a feeling. It just so happens that my addiction to the feeling was a really, really, really bad one. It's a really bad one. And so when my mum got sick and that changed, like that that hit started to change because she started to change, her priorities started to change. She was more focused on, she became more of a victim than what she was. Prior to getting sick, she was more of a martyr, which would then enable my victim. But then when she got sick, she started to become a very strong victim, but then started to not be able to supply me with that hit. This is how I view it, and other people might see it differently, but this is how it unraveled for me. My brain took on that role. My brain suddenly started to amp up the negative voices, the the abuse really, like the criticism, the manipulation, the control. It just got really, really, really loud in my head, and it was brutal. The voices, the things that my head was telling me was like it was really brutal. It was this mean girl and she never stopped, ever. She just never stopped. It didn't matter what I did. There was, it didn't matter what I did, I would get punished for it. And that was kind of, it's weird, but that was my upbringing. If I did something, so if I did something nice or if I, if I was happy, if I was fun or if I was playful, I would, there were times where I would get punished for it. And if I did something wrong and I was bad, then I would get punished for it. And when you're raised in this environment where it doesn't matter whether you're happy or sad, you get punished, you start to go, well, I can't be happy or sad, so I just better stop being both of those things. And then you start numbing yourself out, so you stop being creative, you stop playing, you stop laughing, you stop having fun, but you also stop doing things that get you into trouble. So then you, you just live in this very small, small box with a voice in your head that just constantly says, don't do that, you'll get punished. And when I found that voice, it (laughs) was just, it's like, this is insane. I can't believe how much this voice controls my entire life and the food came into it because there were moments in my life in my 20s I was in a relationship with a guy and when I ended it he actually said to me I think you're bulimic because there's no way anyone could eat as much food as you do and not be not be able to be as skinny as you are and I I remember that this was over 
this happened over 20 years ago and I still remember the conversation. I still remember bursting into tears and I still remember going to my dad and my dad saying, well, you know, he's ridiculous. Don't worry about it. But, but he brushed it off. There was, no, there was no support for that hurt part inside of me. It was like the kid who falls over and raises his knee and the dad goes, just get up and, and brush it off. You're fine. Brush yourself off. There's nothing wrong with you. But the kid is bawling their eyes out. What they need is a hug. What they need is to sit on their dad's lap and have their dad say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry that happened to you, and validate the hurt, validate the pain, validate the trauma. Because ultimately what I really, really, really understand is that that's all we really want as a kid is when we're in pain, we want it validated. We don't want it brushed off. We don't want it ignored. We don't want it pushed to the side. We don't want to be told just get up and you know shake it off. You'll be fine. We don't want that. We want to be allowed to sit and cry. We want to be allowed to to be upset at the fact that somebody just hurt us, a friend was mean to us, or we grazed our knee. All of those things are relevant and valid. But when you're raised in an environment, which honestly most of us, most people around my generation and older were raised in an environment where you weren't allowed to cry about falling over, <clears throat> you were being ridiculous if you cried for too long or you were ridiculous if you cried about someone teasing you it's like don't worry about it it's not it doesn't mean anything it does mean something I think the worst part of all of it for me was finding that punishing voice was finding that part of me that just wanted to punish me constantly because that was my upbringing you exist so you should be punished and that the unraveling that has really been the key to me changing how I feel about myself. I had to unravel that first. That voice, whose voice was it? Was it your own voice repeated what had been said to you previously? Or was it you hearing the voice of your mum, the voice of your dad saying the same thing they've said previously? It was definitely mine. Even though it had come from those experiences, it wasn't only my mum and dad, though. They were friends school teachers, neighbours, like I was just the here am I and anytime I did something it was worthy of being punished. So it was lots there were so many voices. And I remember it's a long time ago, I said to someone, because they asked me why don't I have you know, why don't I see my family and why don't I really have that many friends? And I said, Well, I don't really need them because I have all these voices in my head that do the job of all the people outside of me were doing. So I made the choice not to have the external world around me because it was too much to have the external world and the internal world and both of them equally beating me up. And it was it was my voice that I had at some point decided that I deserved. So how did that manifest itself in how you coped with it? Was it a matter of you pulling yourself away from people was the main outcome of it or was it through eating because of what that person said and then your dad brushing it off i'm only using those two examples because that's all i know that you've told mm-hmm. me i don't know if there's anything else there potentially um since becoming aware of it it has been this constant it's almost like pushing a boulder up a hill and people say awareness is the key like awareness is the key to everything if you become aware of what you're doing then you can change it 
And I am the walking, living, breathing example that awareness doesn't do anything because I've been aware of this for a long time, well over 10, 12 years that I've been aware of all of these parts. And the awareness didn't stop it, didn't change it, didn't magically mean some rainbow was going to shine down on top of me and the next day I was going to make a new decision because all of a sudden I was aware. (laughs) It wasn't like that. And for me, it manifested in always making choices based out of fear, always. But me also seeing myself because that's where the awareness is. You watch yourself doing this going, damn. (laughs) But there's nothing I can do. It was like I was completely out of control i i hadn't i hadn't stepped in and said okay enough is enough i was living and breathing and existing through my voices and feelings so so in my world now i really clearly understand that you have voices in your head and you have feelings in your body and then there's you and until you create that separation you are the voices in your head and the feelings in your body and your entire life is driven by those voices and feelings. And there is no, there's no, there's almost like there's no choice because you're, you're simply going about life reacting based on what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And for me, part of the reason we're on this land is from a fear. I was terrified being in the city when everything started about four years ago when the world seemingly was looked like it was going to shit in a handbasket and everything was falling apart and people were all of a sudden people who were best friends now hated each other because they were on opposing sides of opinions of what they're going to do and whether they're going to wear this or they're not going to wear that or they're going to get this or they're not going to get it and all of a sudden friendships were falling apart neighbors were screaming at each other over the fence who who two weeks earlier were having a cup of tea together in their backyard and having a conversation. You know, when, when all of that kind of unraveled, I went into a deeper panic. My panic attacks kicked up a notch. Jesus, talk about when you already feel afraid in the world, when you already feel afraid of people, when you already feel afraid of your physical body, this is before any of this happened, to then have like this animosity that wasn't just locally, it was worldwide. It was the entire world was reacting out of fear. And when you, when you, you have that and you can see that and you realize, well, hang on a minute, I have no control over what anyone else can do. I can really see that every single person on this planet is now reacting out of fear, but a very obvious fear that may have previously been pushed back it just makes you feel even more scared because people become unpredictable and they did. They became extremely unpredictable. And for me, my response when I've been in that fear space is to always run up, is to always go and disappear into my cave. I don't feel safe. I can't, I can't handle how I feel on the inside and I can't handle how everybody is reacting on the outside. So I will run away. And that's how I handle it. That's why we're on 140 acres in the middle of nowhere. Because I needed, I needed to run away. And it has been equally the best and worst decision that I have made. It was the worst because it really impacted my daughter. 
it means that she she's eight now and for the last two years that we've lived here she hasn't really had anyone to play with like these prime years in her childhood and she has missed out on playing with other kids because there's no one here for her to play with but on the other hand it's also been the best decision that I made because it means that when I walk outside and I need quiet time and my nervous system feels utterly fried I can go and stand outside and close my eyes and hear nothing because there's nothing here. There's nothing but birds. There's no human noise. And mo- most times of the day I can go out and there's zero human noise. On the odd time that there might be a plane flying overhead or next door might be on their mower, but that's like once a week. And so it it has been really healing for me to be here, but it's been really hard for my daughter. But then if I'd stayed in the city, would I have... Would I have been, because the second we arrived here, the panic attacks almost stopped because I was able within the first couple of weeks, I was able to actually do what I was trying to do in the city to calm them all down. And it was getting, my panic attacks were getting better and better and better and better. But then when I came here, it enabled me to really focus on hearing more about the panic attacks, hearing more about the trauma, feeling it more, which was harder for me to do in the city because we there's just too much noise and there was too much crazy and there was too much chaos it seems interesting you saying that because you have what i would probably say is a is a bit of parent guilt in terms of you wish you could do more and have more for your child as i think we all do as parents but then you you have to weigh it up is it is it worth being in the city where you would be completely turned up in terms of anxiety and just on, just, you'd have been high strong. You would have just been, I don't know, there's voices in my head, there's voices outside, there's noise, there's pollution, there's a whole heap of stuff going on and your daughter's making friends and there's relationships in like, platonic relationships and so forth you then got to try and make friends with their parents and it's just oh but she gets to make these connections but I'm not the mum that I want to be for her because of the situation I put myself in exactly that's one option or we can go out middle of nowhere I can regulate myself a lot better I can be the better version of a parent to my child but my child then doesn't have those relationships that other people may have at that age which one is better and ultimately you can only make that decision yourself personally I know which one I think is a better option but that's my opinion and I commend you I commend you for taking the bold step to do what you did for yourself which then helped you to be a better version of a person for your daughter because it sounds like it was very, very difficult. I was a terrible parent with her when I was in the city. I was not a good, I was not as good of a parent as I am now because I was having panic attacks all the time and I wasn't sleeping at night. I would wake up in the middle of the night in the middle of a panic attack, a full-blown panic attack, absolutely terrified. I was lucky if I was having two to three hours of sleep at night. There was no quiet anywhere. So where some people will sit in meditation and they'll be able to go and quiet their brain and then they can kind of tune out the noise, there was none of that for me. 
if I went inside, it was loud. It's like somebody gave these voices in my head a megaphone and said, make sure you're as loud as you possibly can be because she needs the noise. And then I'd go outside and there'd just be noise. The cars never stopped. The neighbors never stopped. The dogs never stopped. Like nothing ever. It was never quiet, ever. There was no, there was never any silence. And for me to find that silence, I'd have to get in the car and drive somewhere. But that driving would be an hour, an hour and a half. But I was struggling getting in the car and driving because of the panic attacks. So it was, well, we either stay in the city so my daughter can have her social needs met, but I am going to be a mess 95% of the day. And for me to take her somewhere was a challenge. It was hard for me to get in the car and drive. And then, because then I'd have to talk to people. And then, and then all the conversations were about exactly the same thing. And I would say to people, what did we talk about before this? Like, did we even, did we even have conversations before this happened? Like, what, what did we talk about? Why is this all of a sudden all anybody is ever talking about? And it was, it was everywhere. And it was just, in your face and some places we weren't allowed into and other there were places where I went where I would get abused from just random strangers would walk up and start yelling at me and I'm like dude just do your own thing and that and none of that none of that was healthy for me none of that was healthy for my daughter to see and I was just getting lost I was lost in the noise and I was lost in the world of social media and YouTube and just constantly trying. And this is also where the addiction comes in, right? Because even though there is an addiction to the hit that I get from restricting, because that is an addiction, there's also the addiction to social media. There's the addiction to YouTube. There's the addiction to distractions. There's the addiction to, well, if I stay here, then the noise, the noise is a distraction. The noise, and But at some point, I just got to a point where I went, the noise is no longer distracting me from my hell. It is my hell. And it, it never stopped. And so coming up here and being on the land, and I have made the decision now to sell and go back down south. We're not going into the city. We are still going to be on land. We're going to be within half an hour of the city so we can drive and be closer to her friends as opposed to where we are, where we are six hours away from her friends. <laughs> so <laughs> it's going to wow. be, a, and it's going to be a smaller block of land. It won't be 140 acres. It will be like 10 acres. So it'll be different. But I really, really, really get that I needed to do this for me. And it takes a lot where and everybody knows this saying, when you're on a plane and they drop their face mask down and they say, put it on yourself first and then put it on your child. Because otherwise, if you are not taking care of you, you your kid is going to suffer because you're not going to make it. And that's, and that's really where I was at. I was at this point where I realized if I don't do something for me, I'm not going to make it. I can't live like this. I was felt like I was walking down the path of a heart attack or a nervous breakdown or something, and I just went, I can't, I can't live like this. And so then we came here, but I can tell you that that doesn't all, all of a sudden mean that everything magically turned into rainbows, unicorns, and fairy dust, and then all of a sudden all of those feelings went away. They got amplified because now 
have no noise around me. So there's no noise distracting me. We have no friends. So there's no one to go out and see to distract myself by. We are in the middle of nowhere on land. So what do I do? And it was such an adjustment because the voices in my head got louder. The punishing voice got louder because now all of a sudden, not only am I punishing myself for everything that I did in my past and then punishing myself just purely for existing, I now get the added bonus of punishing myself because I'm a terrible parent because I brought my child out to 140 acres in the middle of nowhere and now she has no friends. It didn't didn't magically make it all go away. It actually made it worse for a long time because I could, there was nothing I could do to stop the feelings. At least in the city, you can, there's shit to do. You can go to cafes or restaurants, or I could take my daughter out to parks and play with lots of kids and have lots of conversations and just constantly have conversations with people and never really, never really sit in how I feel about myself because I don't have to. I can just go and distract myself. But up here, none of that existed. It wasn't here. So now all of a sudden I'm here in the middle of nowhere on 140 acres with no noise around me and I was feeling and hearing everything on the inside, everything. How did you navigate your childhood and early adulthood if you kept having these loud, unbearable voices telling you how rubbish you are how unworthy you are because that sounds like it would hinder a lot of the relationships you would have had in life it would have put a massive down on any form of ambitions you had in terms of what you felt was appropriate for you oh I want to be this but you're not good enough oh I want to do that but why what what can you contribute you know if you can just sit there and you have these voices just talking down at you then I'd imagine when you're trying to progress in your life there's going to be, again, correct me if I'm wrong, it's going to feel that they're holding you back. So how did you manage to have a life, have relationships? I didn't. I failed at everything. Like I failed at everything. I left school when I was in year 12, so it's the final year. I left school about six months before the final exams. My friends... At school, my best, my three best friends in high school became my enemies. They became my bullies. Um, my, I had terrible relationships with men who were really emotionally abusive. I, anytime I tried to strive at something, it would fail. I did, I did a nutrition course and I got to the last six months and my dad had died. <clears throat> and it was, it was the end of term. And we were having exams and my dad had just died like the week before. And I went to sit the exam and I couldn't do it. I ran out of the room. So then I had to do a makeup, but I didn't know any of the information on the makeup exam. And and I only had three subjects left to finish this four-year course. And I walked out of the exam and I dropped out of the course. That is my, that is my pattern. I didn't, achieve anything at all I didn't succeed at anything I am very well known in my family as being just the the one that fails at everything has bad relationships doesn't hold down a job 
doesn't succeed at anything, doesn't achieve anything. It's basically ruined my entire life. And it takes a lot to come back from all of that failure and to look back and go, okay, but does that have to be who I am now? Does that mean I have to fail now? And I get it. There's a really deep part of me that goes, but you failed so much. So what? And I do have a very strong voice that says, why bother when you know you're going to fail? And that is the epitome for those of us who are raised this way, who who just never achieved. I failed all my classes in school. But when I did do well, it wasn't acknowledged. It wasn't praised. It was just kind of ignored. I remember, and it's these, it's these tiny little things, and I'm sharing these tiny little stories because these are the things that actually really define us. I remember my stepbrother, they were encouraging him to study, so he studied and he got straight A's one year in one of his classes, so he got a brand-new stereo system. I got straight A's in class and I didn't even get a good job. And it's these moments where you sit back and you go, damn, like how come how come he gets something amazing but I get nothing at all? And these when 13, 14, 15, 16, this is how you think. You don't look at it and go, oh, well, you know, that's okay. He probably needed it. He probably needed the encouragement. We're not rationalizing and, and coming up with some logical explanation back then. All you're doing is seeing the reality is he did well and got something. I did well and got nothing. And, and these are the stories that, that we carry through into our adulthood. And there are some of us in the world that sit back and go, how I'm in my forties and I go, how, how did this, how is this my life? How did I end up here when my sibling is highly successful, has won gold medals all around the world, is a top athlete, is highly successful career, highly successful financially, yet we had the same parents. Like how, do, how, does that, how does that relate? But when I go back and have a look, it's like, well, because I was the one that they blamed. I was the one that was held responsible for my mum's drinking. I was the one that was held responsible for my sibling being who they are. I was the one that I was the one that was a terrible child. And my dad said that to me on more than one occasion when I would question why things were the way they were. He'd say, well, what do you expect? You are a terrible child. This is why the, when I asked him about, uh, I was talking to him about mum drinking and I told him about mum's drinking and his response was, well, you're a terrible daughter, so of course she drinks. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> when I look back at that and I go, geez, you, you are not taking on any stellar parenting roles when you made my mother's drinking about me and you made it my fault because I was a terrible child. And I look back and I think I was not a terrible child. I was actually extremely kind and extremely thoughtful and extremely giving and extremely happy. None of you liked that about me because I wasn't miserable. And I, and I didn't, I wasn't try, I wasn't forcing myself into a box that you all deemed important. So the box for my family is you have a job. 
you have a relationship, you get married, you have a house, you have a car, you have life insurance and car insurance and health insurance, and then you retire and then you die. Like that's the normal, that's what they strive for in their life. I always wanted more. I never fitted into that box. And because I never fitted into that box, I was the one that was wrong. I was the one that was broken. You said something that made me smile. And that was when you identified that you was not a bad child. Yeah. How did you arrive to that point where you knew that what was said was not truth? I spent a lot of time sitting and looking at the voices that were coming up and looking at the stories that were coming up around my childhood and looking at the responses that my family had towards me. And when I, when I became aware that I, had, I was punished whether I was good or bad, it didn't matter. It was just my pure existence. And I have lots of stories where I got accused of stealing my sibling's boyfriend because he came over for dinner and I was sitting on the table, I was sitting next to him and I was turning and having a conversation with him. To me, I was being kind, I was being nice, I was being thoughtful, I was being engaging, I was just being me, I was being happy, I was being delightful, I was being all of these things. From their perspective, I'm trying to steal the boyfriend. And when I took, when I looked back at that, I, it, I have a lot of these little stories where I can really say, well, hang on a minute, I was just being me and I was being nice you guys are all fucked up in the head because you all decided that me being me and me being nice and kind and happy and joyful was me trying to steal this guy. And so when I took a step back and I really went into that rational, logical example of life, it was I was not a bad kid. I was not a terrible kid. I was happy. I was fun. I was joyful. I was all of these things. That you guys didn't want me to be any of that. You guys didn't want me to be fun and happy. You wanted me to be sad and miserable because you were all sad and miserable. My dad didn't like his job. My dad didn't like his life. My mum admitted to me that she she didn't like her life. Her life was hard. It was brutal for her. And and there's no way that sad, unhappy, miserable human beings can raise happy children. It just it doesn't it doesn't happen. Misery likes company. Yeah. And I, I so my daughter had some kids that were mean to her a couple of weeks ago. And th- then she came home and we, we were talking about it. And then I said something to her and she was mean to me. And in that moment I had a choice. I could be mean back and I could say, Don't talk to me like that. Go to your room. Not that I would ever say that to my kid, but if I was a normal parent, that's what I would say. Don't talk to me like that. Go to your room. And I would be mean back. But I didn't. What I did was opened up my arms and I gave her a hug and told her that I loved her because I really understand that meanness travels and it goes from one person to the next person to the next person to the next person until someone makes a different choice. And that's what I do now. I make a different choice. I make a different choice with myself. Instead of choosing meanness, I choose kindness. And I could have been mean to her. I could have told her off. She talked back to me. In a normal parent's perspective, she talked back to me. She was rude. She was insolent. She was whatever you want to say. And she should have been punished. In my world, 
she was hurting, kids had been mean to her, she was probably feeling scared, she was probably feeling alone, and she needs love and she needs kindness and she needs compassion and she needs a parent that is going to support her through that pain, not punish her for it. And that is also what I've learned that I guess if I took a very big step back, like if I took a huge leap back and went, what is the gift that my life has given me? It's being kindness. It's understanding that hurt people hurt people, meanness travels, and kindness stops it. Kindness is the end. And and if I make the choice to choose kindness over meanness as often as possible, then that's going to end the meanness. And that is partly why my daughter is so bloody delightful. She's so lovely. She is so kind. She's so accepting. She's so open. She is. Uh, she really gets affected by kids that say mean things to her because I haven't normalized it. I, I'm never mean to her. I always choose kindness, even in moments where I am struggling and she has done something that is probably worthy of being punished. My idea of punishing her is to say, honey, I really feel hurt at the moment. I'm not hurt by you. I'm hurt by your behavior. And I've always made sure that there's that differentiation between there is her who I love and I think is amazing. And then there is her behavior. And there is a difference. They are separate things. They are not one thing. But for my upbringing, me and my behavior, they were the same thing. They were joined together. They were glued together. And if I did something wrong, I did something wrong. In my daughter's world, if she does something wrong, it's her behavior, not her. And it's such a different way of communicating. And the gift that my family has given me by being the way they are, by being and 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 honestly, I come from it at such a strong place of compassion because their lives were hard. They didn't have resources like we have now. They didn't have support like we did now. When my mum lost her son, she didn't have the support that she has now. When she lost her son, he was just taken away. The family didn't even come to support her. There was no funeral. There was no there's no gravesite. There's nothing. No one knows where his body is. No one she just went back to work. Because that's what was expected back then. There was no support. So she was a very, very, very hurt human being who was struggling through life. She had been bullied her whole life. She had been traumatized her whole life. My grandpa was an alcoholic and he was a mean bastard. He was grumpy. I remember just being scared of him because he was always so mean. My grandma was stoic and controlling and manipulative and mean sometimes. She had a mean streak that I saw on more than one occasion. And then I look at my mom's life and I think, how could you be anything other than what you were? Because you went through so much pain and you didn't know that kindness was an option. But then here you are coming from that and you still come out different. But it's different now. It's a different time. The veil between the veil between worlds, between non-physical and physical world is a lot thinner than what it used to be. It used to be really dense. When I first started this work, when I first started shadow work or inner child work or whatever you want to call it, mindset work, whatever you want to call it, the veil was thick, man. There was no one doing this work. There was no one having these conversations 10 years ago. It's only been within the last 10 years that people are actually authentically sharing their shit. 
that didn't exist when I first started. I used to have an online TV show and I was one of two people that had an online TV show. It didn't exist back then. But now you get on YouTube and you put in shadow work or you're putting in a child work or you're putting CPTSD or you're putting how do I question? How do I, how do I deal with the voices in my head? How do I deal with the hurt and the pain? You're going to find a video that gives you a tool to make you feel better about yourself. That shit didn't exist. Now you can hire coaches. Now you can go and find people that have been through trauma. I mean, look at my podcast. My entire podcast has been having conversations with people who have been through trauma and are on the other side. That did not exist when my mom went through this. My podcast has only been on air for nine months. People weren't having these conversations with me prior to nine months ago. You know, this this stuff isn't, people think this has been around forever. It's like, no, man. This stuff has only been around within the last five to 10 years, maybe a little bit longer. But I can tell you when I opened the door at 30, no one was doing this work. No one was doing shadow work. It wasn't a thing. I appreciate that. So I'll ask you this question. You've already summarized how you feel taking a step back. And I appreciate you so much for the way you articulate because I've taken so much from that. If you was to go back based on the journey you've just shared, when would have been the the darkest, hardest time for you where your handbrake was all the way up and you was like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying put. When was that? And if you could go back in time, everything as it is right now in your life will remain intact your family, your situation, all that remains intact. Nothing gets changed here. But if you could go back to that time when the handbrake was pulled all the way up, what would you say to yourself to encourage you to just say, don't stay here, put the handbrake down and keep going? Honestly, I don't think there has been one dark moment. There hasn't been one defining moment that I got stuck in. There has been moment after moment after moment after moment, after moment, after moment, I can name them all. I know the defining moments in my life where I just realized I wasn't, like, it was not okay. It was not okay. Shit was not okay. Life was not okay. I was not okay. There have been so many moments. It's not just one. There's not just one where the handbrake came on. It's like, Something happened and I put the foot on the brake a little bit and then something happened and the brake went on a little bit more. Then something happened, the brake went on a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more until the brake was so far down in the ground, it just couldn't come back. Does that make sense? Yep. What would you say to yourself? What The different times, and I'll let you completely pick this because it's all about you here. What would you have wanted to hear from someone to help you know that what you're doing isn't wrong your existence isn't wrong who would that have been what would you have said to yourself to just help you feel less alone exactly what I say to myself now to help all of those parts inside of me that are so sad and so hurt and so disheveled by life I go back and and I am where I am now and I'm able to see them and feel them and hear them but not have them define me anymore because of this one thing that I do, which is I go back when I have a feeling and I see it and I say, I see you, I hear you, I love you, 
and I thank you. And then I breathe. Not gonna lie, I felt like if I could just hug you right now, I really would. <laughs> that was just it. It was just so. Yeah, it was that. So just to clarify, if you're not calling that entire journey that you've gone through, if you're not calling it L, if you're not calling it a loss, what are you calling it? I think I'm calling it life. Life with all its uncertainties, trials and tribulations, its ups, its downs, its left, its right, its diversions. It's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. And the thing I'm, I think I'm, really getting to understand is that something happens and our feelings either get to define us or help us grow, help us change, help us evolve, help us expand because the feelings hurt. But the more you sit in those feelings, the more you feel the feelings, the more you love that part of you that has that feeling, the less impactful it is, the less impactful the pain is. And I can sit here and I can feel a feeling and say, I hear you, I feel you, I see you, I love you, whatever it was. I see, I, what, I can't remember <laughs> what I said now. You know, I said, um, I see you, I hear you, I love you, I thank you. I can say that and that feeling will just dissipate. Any child, all children, all they want is to be heard. They want to be seen. They want to be loved. They want to be appreciated and they want to be validated. And that is no different to all of these teeny tiny little parts inside of me that have gone through something that jump up if something happens and they go, oh my God, because I see every feeling I have, every painful feeling I have as this little part inside of me that's jumping up going, oh my God, I look at it, I see it, I hear it, validate it. I love it for the fact that it's created this feeling inside of me because it, it is part of me. And there was a time when I would punish it. There was a time where I was so deeply embedded in the punishment story that if I had a bad feeling, I would punish myself. Oh, you shouldn't have that feeling. That's not right. That's wrong. Especially in the law of attraction mindset world, don't have a bad feeling. Focus on good thoughts. Focus on good feelings. Focus on this. Focus on your affirmations. Focus on your mantras. All the while, I'm punishing myself for the bad feeling that I'm having. And then all that did was just amplify the fear and the pain, hence the panic attacks and going through my own special world of hell was because I was constantly punishing myself for every bad feeling that I had, constantly. So I would punish myself for the feeling, but then I would punish myself for punishing myself for the feeling, and then I would punish myself for punishing myself for punishing myself for the feeling. And like, it was this ridiculous, endless cycle of just punishment. And it wasn't until I, I realized one day, I can tell you the day I took the handbrake off, I was in the lounge room and I just had another person in my world punish me for something that was not my fault. And I walked around and I was just stomping around the house going, why is she punishing me for this? This isn't even my fault. What is going on? Why do I keep attracting people that keep punishing me? The lady in the post office punished me the week before. This person, like it was just this series of punishing people just constantly punishing me for all sorts of weird shit over my life. And I just stopped dead in my tracks and I heard this voice in my head say, when are you going to stop punishing yourself? And I say, what? Well, you're punishing yourself. If you stop punishing yourself, then they can't punish you anymore because it doesn't exist. They can do whatever they want, 
But while you keep punishing yourself that they can punish you because punishment exists, stop punishing yourself. And it, it just, it, I, I can't even describe the feeling that I had in that next moment where I just went, oh, every single person in my life can punish me because I am punishing me. And they can punish me because they might say something to punish me, but I take it on and I own it. And then I punish myself for the thing that they want me to be punished for. And I say, wow, damn. So if I stop punishing myself, then if they try and punish me, I can look at them and go, yeah, I don't, I don't need that. Good luck with that. Like you can, I hope you enjoy your punishment, but that's not, that's not about me. And now. And you're not going to hold it. Yeah. Now it just bounces off me. It's like, yeah, whatever. Good luck with that. <laughs> Have fun. You're not accepted it. Return to sender. Return to sender. That exactly. is what it is. Exactly. But I couldn't do that before. That was the moment I took the handbrake off and I stopped punishing myself from that moment. And that, that is when life changed. That, and that only happened maybe five months ago, five, six months ago. That is when life changed for me. That is when I all of a sudden started to have feelings other than the feeling that had been with me for the last 30-something years of my life. All of a sudden it was like, wait, what is this? What, what is this? I had absolutely no idea what the feeling was, but it wasn't that anymore. And that feeling that I woke up with, that feeling, that feeling that I, that worthless sack of shit feeling that I woke up with in the morning that I went about with my day and I went to sleep with that woke me up in the middle of the night in panic attacks. Haven't had it since. Fantastic. I've recently come up with this affirmation, if you want to call it. I, I don't know if it is, but there's different phrases that come up every now and again with me and I kind of hold on to them for whatever season I'm going through. And it was, when you smile in adversity, you change the narrative. And it just seems that eventually, through all that you went through, that moment hit you where it was just a matter of, <laughs> yeah, it's delivered to the wrong address. <laughs> this is not for me. <laughs> That's not for me either. I don't know what you think I am. I'm not the sorting office. Don't send me your mail. You just keep it and you go, you go read, deliver it to whomever you feel it's for. More than likely it's for yourself. Don't give me your bills. And hearing what you've been through and don't get it wrong. I'm fully aware. This is like the tip of the iceberg, but You've been very eloquent in what you've said. You've been very detailed, very oh, descriptive in what you said, how you've come across. And I just feel so many feelings about it. I will tell you personally what my thought was on did you make the right decision? And it's not up to me, but this is my personal take on it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel you had made the right decision because by you being the person you need to be for your child is more important than trying to have the external things sorted out. Because if they're coming home to a house that's going to be traumatic to them, no matter what you're giving them, you're taking it away when they go home. You're taking it away when you're being irrational and reacting in a way that isn't supportive of the person that she's trying to grow into be, or she will become. So I just love you how you've articulated yourself. You've helped me to consider how and what I say to my eldest, because my youngest are not there yet, but still 
have, you know, be mindful of my actions and stuff like that. But you've pushed through things that have been so, 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 so heavy. And you've identified that you are not the problem, that you, your existence is a gift, that you have a place in this world. And with the power of the internet, you've found other people I'd like to believe that are similar and are willing to share because prior to these times, they didn't have access to this stuff. Now we do. We meet people across all over the place, like you and I right now. And I just love it. I'm just so here for it. I am so grateful for you. And I think you are a fantastic human being. I'm so glad for your daughter. I am sorry for the things you've had to endure, but I am not sorry for the person it shaped you to become today. Sometimes you just got to affirm it and just, (sighs) this is going to be a bumpy ride and just accept (laughs) it. And rather than get upset about it is what it is. And you did, you do something that I kind of encourage people to do. I said, I explore those feelings. I sit in those feelings because when people say, Oh, but what if this happens? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about it. Oh, well, this will happen. Okay. Keep going. And then what? And this will happen. And then what? Well, I'll start again, wouldn't it? Okay. Was it that bad? It's no different to when I was younger and I'd watch horror movies. Why watch horror movies? It's the dumbest thing ever. There's no real reason to watch a horror movie, but you do. And then you want to go to the fridge, but you're petrified because there's a shadow that's moving. If you've got a light and shined it on it, wouldn't be an issue. You can see there's nothing there. But because you're not exploring it, your mind's going, yeah, it's going to jump out and kill you. Yeah, it's going to stab your neck. Yeah, it's going to grab your leg. Yeah, it's gonna, there's nothing there. Let me just get a light, flash it on it. And that's why I feel like with exploring the feelings. If I don't explore the feelings, I'm assuming what they're gonna be. I'm assuming it's gonna cripple me. I'm gonna, well, it does cripple me. It cripples me in fear because I'm living in fear. I'm not living the life I want to live. I'm not being ambitious. I am not trying to find out where I fit in this world. I am just, too scared to proceed in life because I'm worried of what other people think about me. And let's be fair, not everyone, everyone doesn't know what's going on with other people. So how can I accept the label they're going to put on me, especially if it's an unkind one? If it's a kind one, that's cool. That's one of my characteristics. But if it's an unkind one, uh, you might want to reconsider that one. I'm not willing to accept that return to sender. But I love you for your attitude, what you've gone through how you've handled yourself, even though it may have sometimes manifested itself in a way that's not how other yeah, people might want to do. I myself very well. <laughs> <laughs> but you still arrive to a place where you are giving back. You are allowing people a space to talk about their traumatic experience, be able to connect to other people and understand that just because the route you took to get to your destination was a bit bumpy doesn't necessarily mean it was the wrong route to take it is what it is sometimes and I just think you're a beautiful human being for it and I'm just so grateful for your existence and all that you do and yeah I might not have words and I'm not like eloquent right now sorry but what I'll ask you to do I appreciate all of that and I want to add one thing before you finish up which was um when you realize that your internal world is vastly more important than your external world, your entire life has the potential to change. And that is what I'm teaching my daughter, is that her internal world is vastly more important than the external world. And when you raise kids that know that, 
when they become adults and their focus is about their internal world, how do I feel? And I've been doing, you said your youngest was too young for this. I just want to let you know, I started doing this with my daughter from the day she could understand what I said. I have been saying to her since she was about one and a half, I love you. I might not love your behavior. I love you. You and your behavior, two different things. And I've also been teaching her about the mean voice and the angel. We call it the mean voice and the angel voice. That There are two voices in her head, the mean voice and the angel voice. The angel voice is that gift that guides her in amazing ways. And the mean voice is that part of her that wants to kind of make her feel like a worthless sack of shit on a daily basis. And she gets to choose which one she listens to. And sometimes she'll listen to the mean voice and then she'll come out and she'll say, I just did something. And I say, which voice did you listen to? And she said, the mean one. I said, how did that go for you? She goes, yeah, not well. (laughs) And she's done it a lot. And, but she's so aware. She's eight and she is aware that she has a mean voice and she has an angel voice. And there are times where she chooses the angel voice and she'll say, I made the angel voice choice and, oh, my God, it was amazing. There is no time that is too early to start teaching your kids about their internal world. That doesn't exist. That is some ridiculous myth that someone decided kids don't have the ability to handle it. That's bullshit. They have more ability to handle it as a kid because they're still more rapidly connected to their non-physical self because they've only just come out from the non-physical self. We, in our 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, we're the ones that have a bigger issue connecting to that stuff and understanding it than they do because we're further away from it and we probably live most of our life disconnected from it. So I would say don't assume that your kids aren't old enough unless they're like three months old and they have zero consciousness because they're just a bundle of fluff. But even so, it still comes down to you realize that your kids are, they're three months old. I have people say, I put my kid, oh, I'm in some parenting groups and they'll say, I'm trying to get my baby to sleep all night and it just won't and it's six months old and they won't leave me alone. And my response is, so this child has been on this earth for six months and what, you want it to go out and get a job? Like it's six months old. Of course it's attached to you. Of course it doesn't want to sleep on its own. Of course it wants to see you all the time. It's only been on this planet for six months. You've been here for how many years? Do you feel safe? Do you understand it? Do you feel great? Do you feel like life is fantastic? How do you think a three-month-old or a six-month-old or an eight-month-old feels? Even when I look at my daughter at eight, I often say she'll come out and she'll say that she did the other day. She, Gosh, she was so funny. She was bored in the bedroom and she had an ink pad, and so she used the ink pad to color her hair blue. And she was so happy. She came, she came outside. She called me in actually. She said, Mom, I've got a surprise for you. And I went, okay, I know, I know where this is going. I know what that means. So she's done something. And I walked in and I just looked at her and I just went, okay. She said, my hair's blue. I said, yeah, I know. I can see it. Did you get a bit bored? She goes, I really did. I went, okay. Are you happy with it? Yep. Okay. That's all that matters. As long as you're happy with it. And she said, oh, but I wanted to let you know I didn't do it on the bed. I did it on the floor. But I can't guarantee that there isn't ink on the floor. And I just looked at her and I said, thank you very much for for being so considerate to not do it on the bed and do it on the floor. I had a choice. I could have punished her for using the ink on her hair and go, oh, my God, go wash that out, blah, 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 being an angry, bitter, resentful, mean parent. Or I could have appreciated the fact that she did it on the floor and not on the bed. She got stuff on the floor, but so what? Who cares? True. Like it's just it's just this complete different 
Kids are kids. She does eight-year-old things. When she was six, she did six-year-old things. That to my 47-year-old is like, oh, God, do you have to be such a pain in the ass? But to that other part of me that goes, she's eight. There's nothing that she's doing that isn't normal for an eight-year-old. And when you come at it from that perspective and you understand that your internal world is more important than your external world, then all of a sudden when you start to feel angry, you'll start to go, oh, hang on a minute, I'm feeling the feeling that I don't like feeling and I don't actually want to feel this feeling. So what is it in me? What perception do I have about this situation? What judgment have I made about this? Is it really wrong? Is it really bad? She hasn't killed anyone. She hasn't, like, she hasn't destroyed, the house is still standing. She hasn't burnt it down. Does it really matter if she draws on a wall or does it really matter if she gets paint on the floor? Does it really matter if she's got ink in her hair or is it the fact that she had fun doing it more important? Because I want her to stay in that good feeling place, not in the place of punishing herself for doing things that made her feel good. Facts. I agree with that. So for the next two minutes, if you could share anything and everything Have you've I got going. <laughs> well, I'll give you two more minutes here, you know. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Please share anything and everything you've got going on and where people can find you, because I'm sure people are going to be very interested to learn more about you or maybe check out more of your content. So there are probably two best places to go. One would be the website, which is lovecreatesfreedom.com which will have whatever's going on in my world at the time. I'm running a free challenge. I'm running a free challenge for people with panic attacks and taking them through the exact technique that I used to end my panic attacks to help people, just to help people see that there is another, there is another way, there's another life. You don't have to live with panic attacks. That works really well. And any time I'd ever had one come up, I did this and I was like, and I've, I've taken clients through it and it's done the same thing for them. They're, they're living their lives free from panic attacks. So I'm sharing that. And the second one is probably my podcast, which is on YouTube, which I think if you put in Love Creates Freedom, it comes up. Because if you put in Kaylee Grace, it doesn't come up. So I think if you put in Love Creates Freedom, my podcast comes up on YouTube. So I greatly appreciate you coming on and sharing all that you have. As I said, I can't gush about you any more than I already have, and I'm not going to keep doing it because you can just keep listening to the episode again and again. That will work for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the gush. <laughs> but I just think it's always worthwhile giving people their flowers while they're living rather than their tombstone. And I just think I, again, appreciate you for coming on and for sharing because it has been a long time trying to make this happen. And for a number of reasons, things have or haven't happened and time zones have definitely played a factor in it as well but we're here and it was worth it and I look forward to this being released and hearing how people receive it because I think if no one else I know I thought this conversation was so worth it I just appreciate you I would like to think a lot of people now have found better insight into some of the struggles that people are having and yes someone can look like they got everything all together but these are also parts of the battles that people face we might think they got all put together based on how they present themselves and so forth like that but their upbringing can still have an impact on how they conduct themselves or how they perceive themselves or how they interpret what you said or how you've acted around them so 
it's always it's always worth worthwhile being considerate about what you say, how you say things, and that potentially how you've conducted yourself around a person may be misinterpreted. So just try and keep that communication channel open just so that if they want to talk to you, you're receptive to it and don't just disregard their feelings that they may have. So thank you again for uh, jumping on and thank you listeners for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. I am starting to plug it a little bit more. Don't ask me why. It's, uh, no, I know why. It's because I actually do a lot of talking on there. I'm on Instagram a lot more than anywhere else. So just come and follow me there every other podcast. I do exclusive content and stuff like that because I like to think about things and I share it. But other than that, I hope you enjoy the rest of whatever you're doing and I'll see you in the next episode and remember there's nothing about a caterpillar tell you it's going to be a butterfly look after yourself and speak to the next one Every hour